ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Yes, indeed. It is another edition of the Nosebleeds Podcast. Emmanuel Barbari joined by Jimmy Sullivan. Jimmy, only a week out. This time, next week, we have postseason baseball. And isn't that a great sound after all these months of uncertainty? Certainly is. It feels weird because I feel like it was just yesterday we were previewing everything and figuring out who's going to win each division before the season. And uh, it's been a crazy year, a lot of highs and lows for sure. But we get to the playoffs. We're going to have eight teams in each league. going to be a fascinating format and uh, still a lot to settle here in the last five or six days of the regular season. One thing that is settled is the Yankees are a playoff team. And I think for a while, Jimmy, we didn't know exactly whether that would be the case. Everyone who knows the New York Yankees knew it would be an utter failure if they had fallen completely out of the fold after that 5-15 and 15 funk they went through. But they ultimately went on the 10-game winning streak. They, they righted it in a big way. And just two days ago, they clinched a playoff spot with Seattle's loss. So now in the final week, Jimmy, it's really a matter of whether the Yankees are going to be a home team in that wildcard round or an away team. And that's an important distinction I think we have to make because the Yankees are night and day on home versus the road this year. And as we know with this new format for at least this year, that anything can happen in a three-game set. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people will look at the home road, right? They've got a great record at home, one of, if not the best in the league, and one of the worst records in the league away from Yankee Stadium. The 31 and 23 right now, as we record this, they're currently in the five spot uh, to the Twins after they lost last night to Toronto. And um, I don't know, I, I've been thinking about this over the past few days, right? How big of a deal is it to be at home versus on the road for that three game series? I think other than the travel, I mean, there's no fans this year, obviously. Um, so that'll be a help, I think. But honestly, you know, they're probably going to play Minnesota. Um, I think it's a, actually a really interesting matchup. I think Minnesota has a chance to be, I'm not going to say beat them, but be more competitive than they Correct. have been against the Yankees in recent years, um, which obviously would not take much. But I, I would not be surprised to see <laughs> that series go three. Um, I think, you know, for the Yankees the last couple times out, we saw this, you know, last night, Monday night, um, yeah, they, they started uh, Mike King, and he you know, didn't start very well. I, I still think with the pitching, you have to figure out who you're going to go with. You know, Jay Happ now is amazing. So I think he's <laughs> probably one of your guys. Um, and it really snuck up on me. I, I saw you had tweeted uh, whatever night Happ's last start was, about his last five or six start. It really snuck up on me how good he has been. Amazing. In the last month. It's really incredible. Like, he's turned into – Maybe the most consistent arm in that rotation, just because Cole went through his struggles. Now he's come out on the other side. Tanaka's Tanaka, but Jay Happ's been unbelievable uh, the past month or so since he kind of opened his mouth about the whole uh, contract dispute. He went from being persona non grata with Yankee fans to a guy they're like, hand him the ball in a playoff spot. I think most Yankee fans are still a little lukewarm on that, where it's like, if we hand him the ball in a playoff spot, he's sure to disappoint us. But at the same time, Jay Happ has been phenomenal over his last five starts, a low twos ERA. He's become a guy you want to hand the ball to in the playoffs. Maybe not in the game three. That would be more of an all-hands-on-deck scenario. 
but hand him the ball nonetheless. Jimmy, let's lay out these home road splits for the Yankees because they are 21-7 and at Yankee Stadium this season. 908 OPS as a team at Yankee Stadium. 363 on base, 64 homers in 28 games at Yankee Stadium, which is just absurd. Away from Yankee Stadium, the team OPS goes down to 682. A 317 on base. They're only hitting 223, and they have 27 homers in 26 games. So it's not to say they can't hit, but that is a stark difference. And if you play a team like Minnesota that's very comfortable at home, at Target Field, and a place that's very hitters friendly, as we've seen the last couple of years, look, the Twins have this, this bug where they can't beat the Yankees in the playoffs. You said it might be different this year. We'll believe it when we see it, but. Being at home would make a big difference towards getting them in a position to at least force a game three. I think it would help. And I think, you know, you've got a team in the Twins that, you know, they've got a lot of home run hitters too. And they've got some guys who are kind of feast or famine. And we've, we've talked about that with the Yankees. Twins kind of have that problem too. It's not just, you know, unique to, to the Yankees. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think the interesting thing too is assuming they do play the Twins, and we're spending a lot of time on this, assuming that they will, I think. Um, what the Twins do pitching-wise, because, you know, the indictment on Minnesota last year when they played the Yankees was that they didn't have the pitching, right? They wound up going to Randy Dobnak in game two who did not have a ton of experience. But they've got guys they can throw out there this year, like Akenta Maeda, for example, who's having a great year. Jose Barrios, you could probably put feel good about in a winner-take-all game. So they actually have pretty okay starting pitching, and I feel good about it in a three-game series. Five-game series, probably not. But in a three-game series, I think they've got enough guys they can throw at you, and then you add in, obviously, the guys from the bullpen. Um, and, you know, Rich Hill, too, is a guy I forgot to mention who's been pretty good You know, since he's come back off, off the injured list. So I think they have got pieces, especially pitching wise. I think that'll be the key for them that, you know, they could challenge a a team like the Yankees where I really don't think, even though they won a hundred some odd games last year, they didn't really have that last year. So that'll be a really good matchup. That might be the matchup I would be looking forward to the most in round one out of all of the first round matchups. And last year, they surprised me a little bit, Jimmy, in the sense that I was expecting a more competitive series and they threw Randy Dobnak in game two and it was like at that point after the Yankees had taken game one and come from behind fashion it was like okay here we go again because you knew that start had inexperience getting knocked all around the ballpark written all over it and that's that's exactly what happened the Yankees dominated them in game two won game three took the series and swept them away so you're right there are a few other options Michael Pineda isn't suspended this year he's throwing the ball okay so well, wouldn't that be interesting, Michael Pineda against his former team at some point in that series? Not saying it will happen. would be very interesting to see. So we'll, we'll have a lot more Yankees-Twins preview once we get to that point. But just in terms of the next week or so, the Yankees and the Twins are separated by one game on the loss side. The Twins have two more wins than the Yankees, 31 to the Yankees, 33. So the Yankees are going to prioritize somewhat the ability to get that series at Yankee Stadium. And they will have to make up a game over the next week in order to make that happen. The next two nights are throwing Garrett Cole, Masahiro Tanaka, as we're recording. We're two hours from first pitch. Cole against Roark, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. So 
the Yankees are going to at least want to win a couple of games right here so they can put themselves in a position to get the four seed. But at the end of the day, everyone's dealing with the same thing this year. Even if you're the one seed, you lose one game to that A seed and you're in a win-or-go-home win scenario for two straight nights. So if the Yankees do play on the road, there's still no excuse. You have to go into the playoffs in the same fashion. Absolutely. And there's that old saying, right, that your momentum is as good as your next day's starting pitcher. And I think that's really true in a short series like this, where you're going to be playing three games in rapid succession, and you want to make sure you get good outings because if your you know, rotation just combusts, then you're, you're pretty much done for. And that goes one through eight. That's the Dodgers all the way down to like the Blue Jays or the Reds or whoever it winds up being in the National League. Just to look at the schedule for the Yankees to round out the season. So they've got the Blue Jays for, as we're recording this, three more, Tuesday through Thursday. The Blue Jays are, are in good shape to make the playoffs. They'll have something to play for for at least the next, I would say, probably a couple of nights. And then interesting uh, series for them at the end of the year. They've got the Marlins. Now the Marlins are in an odd spot right now because they are the second place team in the National League East, which is wild to say out loud, but they're yeah. only one game, only one game ahead of the Phillies for third place. Now, obviously the first two teams in each division are locked in. And then you take the wild cards from the best records outside of those six teams. So if the Marlins fall, behind the Phillies, they're going to be launched into a mess. So I think they're going to have a lot to play for against the Yankees this weekend. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. The Twins uh, close out their season with the Reds this weekend, another team that has something to play for. And as we're recording this, they've got two more with the Tigers uh, who are out of it. So interesting for both sides. I think, though, for the Yankees, you have to like where you're at and the way they've been playing. They won 10 in a row. They took the series from the Red Sox over the weekend. So I think they got to be really happy with how they're playing right now, how their pitching has really improved, and their lineup, the depth in their lineup can compete with literally anybody in the league. It's that good. There aren't really any at-bats. We were talking about this on one-on-one -on -one the other day. There's not really any at-bats you can soft-pedal against this lineup, and I think that has to make Yankee fans feel really good. Well, last week's series against the Blue Jays was the best you're going to see from this Yankees lineup all season. They absolutely pummeled them. Uh, they proved why they want to be at Yankee Stadium in a first-round playoff series. It was really unlike anything we've seen in terms of a home run outburst in a three-game set. Now, I think this week, the focus has to be on getting your key guns good to go because Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, for as good as Stanton's looked in a couple of games here and Judge still trying to find his groove, you need to get those guys reps and you need to get them good to go before they're thrust into a playoff setting because – as deep as the lineup is and as good as the depth is and as much as we want to talk about it, I really don't think the Yankees are going to get where they want to go without some sort of big-time production from a judge or a Stanton in the playoffs at some point in the postseason. So I think it's about that, and I also think it's about the next two nights because they are lining up Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka strategically. So next week they can go on regular rest when they do play the Minnesota Twins. So those are the two things I'm monitoring this week. I'm monitoring Aaron Judge and Joe Carlos Stanton, how they look and how the lineup goes in clicking to that twin series a week from now. And also how Garrett Cole and Masi or Tanaka look in their final starts before the playoffs. Yeah. And Garrett Cole has looked really, really good as of late. And he's a guy that you're not going to get to where you need to go without him being really good. And that's, I think, big for Yankee fans to see whether it's with Sanchez or Higashioka in the playoffs needs to be worked out, I think, but 
to see him looking the way he did, I think is really uh, promising for Yankees fans. As for Tanaka, it's interesting because we always talk about Tanaka like, oh, this guy's kind of up and down. He's all right. And then the playoffs come around. He's amazing. Right. So, <laughs> he could give up seven runs in his last start. And I'd be like, you know what? He'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way I look at it. Ultimately, probably not a healthy assertion. Cause one of these years it's going to like blow up on me, but <laughs> correct. <laughs> I think uh, every time I've seen him in the playoffs, he's been really, really good. And uh, I, I think he'll somehow be able to muster that again for the Yankees this year. It's a dangerous assumption because every time he puts up a clunker, everyone's like, oh, he's getting it out of the way. He'll be good to go. Don't worry about him. And I don't worry about him. That's just the fact of the matter. He's had seven postseason starts, and about six of them have been absolutely brilliant. One of them was serviceable enough to keep the Yankees in the game. So I trust him. I trust handing him the ball, and I don't worry about what happens in this final start. But he's another guy. He's very comfortable pitching at Yankee Stadium on the road. Maybe a little bit of a different story. I trust that he's a vet. I trust that he can weather the storm. But we're not talking about weathering a crowd storm. There are no fans screaming at you in the postseason this year. So I think it's just a matter of being in an environment that's comfortable enough for Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka. Whether that's at Target Field or Yankee Stadium, I think that's a big deal. I also think another factor to consider is how comfortable they are with the battery. And with Cole, I would not mess up what's going on right now. If he has another good start tonight with Kyle Agashioka behind the plate, you figure it out for that game one. You're not going to be missing too much offense without Gary Sanchez in the lineup or with Gary Sanchez as the DH. You make it work and you trust that however good Cole is with Higashioka behind the plate will be offset in the lineup by putting up three or four runs or however many it is. I, I think the, the one thing too here is that if they put Higashioka behind the plate, Sanchez goes to DH – you probably, I mean, you got to figure out, you know, Judge, Stanton, do they go play the outfield? So I think that's something interesting that the Yankees are going to have to look at. Do I think they'll ultimately figure it out? Yeah, I do. Um, I think ideally the Yankees would probably rather have Sanchez back there. Um, and I think that's where Aaron Boone is at right now. Uh, but I'll also be interested, you know, in Cole's last start or two here, you know, assuming he's aligned with Higashioka, if this continues, I don't know how you put anybody else back there with a straight face, but I think um, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what the Yankees wind up doing here. They have good problems. I will say that like, these are all like what we're talking about is, Oh, well, who are you going to take out of the lineup? Like all of the (laughs) options are good and you could bring any of those guys off the bench in a big spot. So I think the Yankees have to feel pretty good about where they're at heading into this thing where there are a ton of variables in the playoffs, even more so than, than what we're used to. You saw it in the 09 postseason, too, when they had Jose Molina catching A.J. Burnett, and Jorge Posada was actually very upset about that. It was kind of an under-the-radar storyline of that season, how upset Posada was about not playing in a pivotal playoff game. But you saw Molina behind the plate for maybe six innings, and once Burnett exited the game, Posada would get some at-bats. So there will be at-bats to have for Gary Sanchez, even if they go with Higashioka uh, for game one. So let's flip town let's go to Queens and the New York Mets and Jimmy I I don't think if there was a more poetic way to end what's been a disappointing season because Jacob DeGrom strikes out 14 guys he's on the doorstep of another Cy Young and the Mets lose 2-1 to the Tampa Bay Rays and really we've we've proclaimed a lot of nails in their coffin this year if there was going to be a game they had to win to have any sort of an outside chance in this final week I think it was that one And now it looks like these last five games are going to be very uneventful 
and the, the Mets not giving Jacob DeGrom run support was their, their last fighting chance. They basically need everything to go their way down the stretch here the last six days of the season to get into the playoffs. If you look at the postseason standings right now, they are currently uh, 12th in the National League, behind the Rockies now, by the way. Wow. Um, which is incredible. Um, but right now, so they've got um, – they're behind Milwaukee, San Francisco, Colorado. Those teams are not in the playoffs. And then they're chasing Philadelphia and Cincinnati, who are currently in the two wildcard spots. Milwaukee and Cincinnati are playing each other. So the net gain you get out of that, even if you win every game, is like a half game a night. And then you've got San Francisco's playing the Rockies. They're playing each other. So, again, net gain there, not a lot. Um, they basically do need everything to go their way. They have DeGrom lined up basically where he will start on the last weekend of the season on Saturday as of right now. Um, not sure if they're still going to be in it at that point. But this is a, a real disappointment. And I, I've taken – I've tried to take this season with a bit of a grain of salt. Not that I'm you know, not following or enjoying the action, but some of the results we're seeing are things we would not see typically. The Mets have a great offense. They can hit with anybody. They cannot, for their lives, get runners in with runners in scoring position. And I think that's one of the undoings. You know, the bullpen's been up and down, but the rotation, I mean, goodness me. You've got Jacob DeGrom, Seth Lugo, who got hammered by the Phillies the other night, um, whose stuff just does not work as well at the start of a game because he's kind of saving it. And then I mean, you've got Rick Porcello, who had a good start on Sunday, but otherwise hasn't been very good. Michael Waka, David Peterson has, is probably their second-best starter right now. Um, so the starting rotation failed them in just about every way. And when you have that happening in a 60-game season um, and you start losing games and start snowpiling, then, then you've got big problems. And for a rotation that Brody Van Wagenen proclaimed to be the deepest in baseball during the offseason – uh, it's certainly disappointed in that regard after just an injury or two. I can't believe he said that. Looking back in hindsight, I really can't believe he proclaimed it the deepest in baseball because for once Brody stacked a couple pitchers at the back end so he wasn't relying on everyone making 30 starts like he did a season ago. So kudos to him for realizing that depth actually means something. But I still can't believe he said that. He's relying on Rick Porcello and Michael Waka to be like, 2012-2013, Rick Porcello and Michael Waka to have any chance of that being the case. So that is pretty wild uh, looking back that he even made that comment. And you're right, it just wasn't deep enough this season. Jacob deGrom and then question mark, question mark, question mark. You mentioned Peterson has been a very nice revelation this year for the Mets. But beyond that, I think as Steve Cohen takes the reins, and that's, that's a welcome sign for – for Mets fans, whether Brody is the GM or not, and I think all signs would indicate that he would not be, a big overarching storyline of this offseason is how you build around this core. Because you're going to waste Jacob DeGrom's prime if you do not surround him with starting rotation formidable options over the next couple of years. You already have wasted a lot of his prime, for that matter. You have the guys in the lineup. You have the youth in the lineup to build around how do you structure the starting staff with the guys who are going to be free agents in the offseason? Do you re-sign a Marcus Stroman? Do you completely roll the dice and bank on Syndergaard not only returning, but returning to his old form, which is a, a big gamble because he wasn't even consistent before he got hurt? 
there are a lot of questions I think that the Mets are going to have to address once they finish what will be a, a disappointing season. And I think the one help for the Mets here is that they, assuming Steve Cohen gets the votes, which I think he will, they're going to be able to spend. And I think going out and getting those guys, now it depends, because there's been some talk about, oh, they're going to just blow it up when Steve Cohen uh, buys the team. I don't know if that's necessary, honestly, because I think there's some good pieces here. Um, but they can go out and spend and get a good second or third starter. Because Noah Syndergaard's not going to be back until about halfway through next year. And then he's going to be a free agent. So he's going to wind up getting like a 10 to 15 start audition if all goes well. And then he's he could be gone. Um, but being able to spend with competitive teams, I think it's going to be really helpful because you won't be looking for bargain bin guys like Porcello, who literally had the highest ERA in baseball last year. <laughs> Michael Waka, who had not been an above average pitcher for like five years before he got to the Mets. Right. Um, so you're not, you're not going to be playing that game anymore. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a different proposition. And assuming Cohen gets approved, uh, there's been talk about him bringing in Sandy Alderson as like a head of the organization, which I think would be really good. Um, and I think that'll also help him with baseball and procuring the votes because there are there is some question about that. Um, I think being able to do that, everybody talks about Real Muto, obviously, is the Mets throwing a ton of money at him. But I think the starting rotation is huge. And I think getting you know solid guys in free agency whoever those might be, not even like front of the line guys necessarily, but guys you can feel good about putting behind DeGrom that you, you're not saying, okay, Jacob here, once every five starts, you're going to be amazing. The rest of the rotation is going to be terrible. Um, that's what you can't do. And I think being able to spend, I think they're going to go out and make a move for a starter, not some big trade that Brody Van Wagenen has taken a liking to, obviously, which we've seen over the last couple of years. They're going to go out, they're going to spend money, they're going to get somebody long-term, and then that guy could be the number two or the number three. So a lot to dive into when it comes to the Mets. We'll have a lot more for that here on Nosebleeds. Before we wrap, Jimmy, let's dive into what's going to be a wild final week in terms of seeding in the National League. A lot is said in the American League. Things can still shift around a little bit, like who's home, who's on the road. But we still have a, a broader picture of the fact that Toronto is going to face Tampa Bay. Cleveland's likely going to face Chicago, the White Sox, in the first round. Oakland will have Houston, which should be an interesting series, even though the Astros have wildly underperformed this year. And then just a matter of home road on Yankees twins. In the National League, though, you mentioned the Marlins, who will have something to play for against the Yankees this weekend in that number five spot. They can still fall, though, because Philadelphia is at 500. They still have an outside chance of being the, the guaranteed playoff spot in the number two spot in the NL East. St. Louis is 26 and 25. They're in the sixth spot. Cincinnati's 28 and 27. They're in the seventh spot. Milwaukee's on the outside looking in behind Philadelphia at 26 and 27. So is San Francisco at 26 and 27. And Milwaukee and Cincinnati play each other. So it's going to be a very fun-to-watch week. If there's anything good about this, this eight-seed playoff in, in both leagues, even though if they use it next year, it will be absolutely outrageous, is you have these fringe 500 teams that are all duking it out. And the five-seed right now in the Marlins, probably not, but there is a chance they won't make the playoffs. Yeah. So a lot can shift in this final week. And – Anyone from five to 10 could end up in any of those spots by week's end. 
It's going to be fun to watch. The team that fascinates me is the Cardinals because they have – so they're behind on games because of their outbreak. So at the end of the day Sunday, they will have played 58 games. If their spot is not secured in the playoffs or if there is some kind of seeding implication, they have to play a doubleheader on Monday after the season, which will be just crazy knowing exactly what rides on it. But, yeah, it's like you said. I mean, I think the Reds are a really dangerous team if they get into the playoffs. Philadelphia has a nefarious bullpen, so I don't think they would get very far whether they play the Dodgers or the Cubs. You know, St. Louis, I'm not entirely sure what to make of, quite frankly. Miami, the same thing. But the appealing thing as I look in the National League is if the – uh, favorites win out. If this goes chalk, you're going to have a division series between the Dodgers and the Padres, which I think would be a really, really entertaining series. That's awesome. A Padres team that's a little ahead of its schedule and a Dodgers team that most people would say are the best team of baseball right now. So I think that's a series that if it happens, I think we could all really look forward to. But yeah, these last five days in the National League, I have no idea how it's going to shake out. The more I try to figure it out, the more confused I get. So I think uh, we'll, we'll have to see how everything shakes out. But wouldn't be surprised to see if maybe we have to play a, a game 61, if you will, on Monday if it winds up uh, coming to that. Game 61, the new game 163 in the year 2020. I would be interested. You're right, Jimmy. Cincinnati sneaks in. Let's say they play the Cubs in the first round. That would be an interesting three-game series. We mentioned anything can happen in three games, and that is true. You nab a game, and all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat and are on the verge of clinching, and the other team has to win two games. If you have Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray, let's say, against the Chicago Cubs, you are looking at a wide-open series. So I don't think anyone is really safe in the National League, aside from maybe the Dodgers, if they're going to play the Phillies in the first round. The Dodgers have been this team on a mission all year. They've come up short in the playoffs, and they have ridiculous levels of talent, and I would expect them to go deep. But if a team like Cincinnati plays Chicago or Atlanta or one of these teams that is a division winner but maybe somewhat vulnerable, and it still could be Atlanta because Chicago and Atlanta have the same record, 32 and 22, I'd be very fascinated to see how that Cincinnati pitching staff supplemented by a pretty good lineup goes up against maybe a vulnerable division winner. Yeah, I mean, they had not played well all year until the last couple of weeks, and now they're just going to sneak in. And like you said, I mean, they've got the starting rotation this year, um, which is not something you've historically associated with the Reds, but they've made a point of it the last couple of years. Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo. So if they get in, you know, they win a three-game series. Next thing you know, maybe they've got a team like Atlanta in a five-game series. Their pitching's better than Atlanta's. If they beat Atlanta, then you're going to have the first seven seed to make a championship series <laughs> in the history of baseball. That's incredible stuff. Never thought I would be saying that in my life, that we would have seven and eight seeds competing for a championship, having seasons around 500. Just incredible. But really is. 60 game season, kind of what you need to do because who knows who's good and, and who's bad. So a nice little teaser for what's ahead here on Nosebleeds. We're going to have a full postseason preview. It doesn't even feel like October yet. The weather is getting a little chillier. But we are heading towards the month we love on this podcast, and we will have full seeding breakdowns, full matchup breakdowns. The Yankees will be in the playoffs. They will have a first-round wild-card series, and all eyes will be on whether they can make a chase for their 28th championship that they've been after 
for the last couple of years. That's all coming next week on Nosebleeds for Jimmy Sullivan, Emmanuel Barbari. We'll catch you next week.